0: Howdy people, welcome to Ditch the Ick. As always, I am your host, Katie Carson, and I am so thrilled this week to be joined by Olivia Peltz, who is a therapist. She was my therapist, full disclosure. And today we're going to talk about attachment styles and healthy relationships and kind of navigating the modern dating world without losing your mind. So, welcome, Olivia. I'm so excited you're here. Yeah.
1: Thanks. Emphasis on uh, not losing your mind.
0: Yeah. Emphasis on that. So, emphasis. Big emphasis. It's on
1: a that. it's a it's a wild <laughs> world out there on the Tenders and the Bumbles and the all the, and things, the hinges so. and
0: the it's terrible.
1: Yeah, man. It's um, crazy town.
0: So why don't you tell us a little bit? Why don't you introduce yourself to the audience so they because I know who you are. Yeah.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. So <laughs> hi, I'm Olivia. It's me. I hopefully am not the problem, but uh maybe I might become one in your life if you're like, shit, Olivia, <laughs> damn. You've just read my mail. Uh yeah, so Which, I am a
0: <laughs> I know you will. So...
1: <laughs> maybe, maybe I will. Yeah, so I'm a licensed mental health counselor in the state of Florida. I also do a lot of relationship coaching as kind of the path that I'm I'm moving more towards right now in my practice. But yeah, so I own Sunshine City Counseling. It's based here in St. Petersburg, Florida. We also have a location under a different name, but up in Portland, Maine, Lauren runs that ship and she's fantastic. But yeah, so I do a lot of therapy things, a lot of coaching things, a lot of talking about, you know, relationship really relationships and feeling like shit show and how to like fix that. That's a lot of what I do when I'm not drinking wine, hanging out with my new puppy and corralling my two children.
0: Oh my God, I saw your new puppy on Instagram and it is adorable.
1: It's so cute. Ridiculous. He was famous at the vet. They were literally like, can we put him on social media? I was like, can this be a free vet visit? Yes, you can.
0: (laughs) They did the same thing to Archie and I tried to do that as well. It it didn't work, sadly, but Mm -mm.
1: it didn't work either for me. But I tried.
0: (laughs) You got to shoot your shot, you know? You got to shoot it every
1: time. Yeah,
0: absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So what kind of uh, ridiculous things are we going to get into today?
0: Oh, I've got plenty. So I do want to talk because you were the first person to introduce me to even the idea of attachment styles. And we were talking before this and at least the side of TikTok that I am on, Mm. there's a lot of attachment style videos, both like comedy based and also like people talking seriously about different attachment styles. But I feel like there's Mm a lot of confusion or a lot of really broad generalizations being made kind of like people do with like the Enneagram or mm-hmm. astrology or whatever, like, oh, that's such an Aries thing, or you're such a type three, you know, that sort yeah. of thing. So I'd love to hear kind of have you explain a little bit more about what are attachment styles where are the different mm-hmm. styles, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah.
1: Cool. Yeah. So this is something that I have really gotten into, I think a lot from my own kind of personal journey when I first started going to therapy and then, um, and then I just saw it more and more and more and more with clients. And so it became something I was like, this feels very relevant (laughs) to the kind of work that I do. And so essentially attachment is how you relate to another person. So you can get really like woo woo and whatever with it, but I, I like to bring it down to the, for the people, Uh, you know, but yeah. So, I mean, We form our primary attachments when we are little, like tiny, tiny little babies. And so our primary caregivers for talking sake, we'll just assume it's a mom and a dad, but it's the primary caregivers that could be any of those people. So typically it's mom and a dad. They are responsible for teaching that little kid how to handle emotions, how to relate to other people, how not to relate to other people, how not to handle emotions, things that we do talk about, things that we don't talk about. And so Really, how we form an understanding a schema, if you will, of the world comes from mom and dad. Mm. And so if mom and dad don't have a lot of clarity for themselves uh, or a lot of curiosity, let's say, or a lot of understanding about how they came into the world and what they're bringing to their child, uh, then things can, you know go sideways as they say. <laughs> um, and not to say that like so much of, you know, we should just like blame mom and dad. Cause I feel like a lot of people, I see that a lot, like on TikTok and Instagram, they're just like, Oh, well, just shit on mom and dad. And, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, that would, I guess be like the easy way out, but like, that's not really the full picture. It's, it's understanding that that is what has happened. But the cool thing about attachment is that we're not stuck. It's not like, you know, Myers-Briggs, like I am an ENFJ or whatever. Crap! Um, I still don't understand the Myers Briggs, but it's fine. It's garbage. I'm like, what's the, what is the P? What's the P? I don't understand. Anyways, it doesn't matter. I'm not one, so our understanding right of the world comes from this understanding of attachment, and it can change. And so we call what. What we call that is that we work towards a secure earned. So we have secure attachment. Obviously, that's like for my perfectionists out there. They're like, that's what I want. So we have secure attachment. We have anxious attachment and we have avoidant. Those are kind of like your primary ones. There's disorganized, but for the like the majority of people are going to fall in, in some very variation of secure, anxious and avoidant. And it's not that you are all one or you're all the other, like this is kind of binary view of mm-hmm. things. It's if you were to take a quiz, which we can put those in the show notes as well. One of my favorite yeah. attachment people, Diane Paul Heller, um, she's created a quiz, like twenty questions. Um, but it's helpful because it kind of will spit out like a pie chart, and it'll tell you based on your answers, you know, you are twenty percent secure you're 70% anxious and, you know, 10% avoidant or whatever. And so we are all some variation. It's just a matter of what is kind of our our default, if mm-hmm. you will. And not that I can't move out of that default. I can. And that's where healthy relationships, therapy or coaching and, and curiosity come into play with neuroplasticity mm-hmm. and our ability to change our attachment, you know, But we will naturally default when we are triggered, when we are stressed, when something scary or conflict comes up, our natural kind of predisposition will be to go towards that default. And the work of therapy, the work of coaching is reducing the amount of time that you stay in that default to Mm -hmm. when you make actionable change.
0: Yeah. And even being able to recognize that, right? Like that's been one of the biggest things in my journey is just being able to recognize when I'm triggered and like mm-hmm. what the trigger was so that, you know, I can right. then take those steps because that's like, I think that was the biggest part of the battle for me was just yeah, knowing when I was spun up like that. that is, I mean, it's true for most people.
1: It's like, you can't even get to the other stuff because the identifying is so tricky because we've habituated ourselves to believe that this is normal. This is all that I am. This is just how I do things. This is just who I am. I can't change it. And it's like, well,
0: you can't with that mindset, you know, but. (laughs) I think that's been one of the cool things, at least, you know, as therapy and mental health conversations have become more prevalent in our society Mm -hmm. and it's become more normal to talk about them. That is one of the things that I'm really grateful for is it's, you know, people are having the conversations, but we're also recognizing that just because X, Y, or Z happened, in our childhood or our teens yeah. or whenever, whenever it happened, doesn't have to be what defines you or dictate how you live yeah. your life going forward, which I love.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's it's truly a, uh, like we always say, it's like helping us understand how did I get here mm-hmm. so that I can know what to do for my future. Mm-hmm. And that's, it, it is going more from a like kind of what was me, OMG, this thing has happened to more of an empowered sense because where there is curiosity, right? Where there is knowledge and understanding that is power. And you can kind of take back the things that maybe were taken from you or that were harmed and create them for yourself going forward or to leave them behind if it's trash. That's cool too.
0: Actually, the episode I recorded that will come out the week before this one was about like purity culture and how that (laughs) I know. Um, You know, like how that can impact, you know, the culture of shame and things Mm -hmm. like that and the stigmas associated with it. And so that was definitely one of those things for me. Yeah. So when it comes to attachment styles, this is something I've wanted to know. Do you find that like people in different like contexts can have different attachment styles? Like, could somebody have a different attachment style, say in a friendship than they would in like a romantic relationship? Or is it generally your default is kind of your default, and you learn to recognize it.
1: So I've seen it come up where it presents differently. But what I have personally found, and again, take this with a grain of salt, I'm one person. But what I have found is that when it appears that there might be different attachment types, Mm -hmm. like you said, between like a friendship and a romantic relationship, it's not necessarily that there are different relationship types in the sense of how I in, in, engage with that person. It's usually a matter of how close I'm allowing that other person to get to me. Mm. In the romantic relationship, usually we want ideally that to be close, and so that person is going to naturally have a different response, likely yeah. than like a friend who's like bopping around. And I'm like whatever, you know. <laughs> but it might also be helpful because I didn't really go into this. Like, what the heck is anxious attachment? What yes. is avoidant attachment? So <laughs> <laughs> again, this is like very broad strokes. So like you know. Take it for what it's worth. This is not medical advice. Don't come at me. I don't have any money.
0: (laughs) I'm not Dr. Oz. just a real cute puppy. It's fine.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Just a real cute puppy. Yeah. So anxious attachment style basically is, again, broad strokes, really developed when we are little with a caregiver that is inconsistent. Mm -hmm. So it's not that a caregiver that is completely absent or negligent by any means, but it is a caregiver where sometimes a repair was attempted, you know, reconnection where there was um, hurt or conflict or some kind of a, a rupture to the relationship. Sometimes there was repair and other times that kid was just like left to fend for themselves. And so there is this anxiety that comes with, I don't know if repair is going to come. I don't know what's going to happen. And so what we do is we internalize it. I must be bad. I must be unlovable. I must be unworthy. Shame, 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 Mm -hmm. those types of things. And so that's the, that's the attachment style that I grew up with. And so I, I find that that anxiety comes up a lot, like within friendships or within my marriage at times, especially when we were dating those types of things. Whereas like an avoidant attachment style typically happens because the parents were like nowhere to be found and so that little kid had no idea what to do with these big feelings that they were having or mm-hmm. you know you know manifesting and so there is a sense that this must be too much for people that they're not good that these emotions are bad so therefore I'm going to pull back and retreat and so a lot of times you see attachment styles you you will see a lot of the time like an anxious and avoidant attachment style get together And they're like, in so many ways, kind of perfectly matched because the anxious person overworks and over, you know, kind of like produces, yeah, yeah, produces (laughs) for the relationship. It's like they function for themselves and the other person just to make sure that like they're good. And then the avoidant person's like, cool, I'm just going (laughs) to slink back in the back. And then it becomes a problem when like one person starts getting healed. Or or developing more of an understanding around it, and so it becomes like a cat and mouse game.
0: Well, so. I feel like it could breed some resentment too, right? Like mm-hmm. on the oh, side of the anxious yeah. partner, especially like I'm doing everything. What are what are you doing for our relationship? Mm-hmm. You know, right? Um, you mentioned disorganized, and I just want to mm-hmm. touch on it because I that was mine. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. is that like a mix of the anxious anxious and avoidant, or is it a little bit more?
1: Yes. I mean, that's a really easy way of kind of describing it. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's less common. So you don't hear a lot of people talking about it as much. I dealt with it a lot uh, when I worked in um, foster care. So Mm -hmm. typically you're going to see disorganized attachment with folks who have a significant amount of trauma and or neglect. Um, It's this kind of sense that the person that I know that I love and um, cares for me is also the source of my terror. Mm -hmm. whether that's in the form of abuse, whether that's in the form of neglect or extreme hurt or some type of a traumatic event, that is often how disorganized attachment um, happens. But yeah, so it's a, the easy way of understanding it. Yeah. It's kind of like a hybrid of the
0: two. Cool. So, you know, as people are kind of jumping into the dating world, I would I feel like it's really, it was really helpful for me to know my attachment style before I kind of started jumping back mm-hmm. in, in my thirties. Um, you know, how can people like learn a little bit more about their style and, you know, some tools to help to heal that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think Understanding your attachment style, your frame of how you view people, how you view the world, how you view relationships—whether it's from a place of trust, whether it's from a place of distrust—I um, think if you're going to spend any kind of time or money in a specific area, that would be one where I would want to put a lot of my like emotional money into. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like Diane Paul Heller, again, I'll we'll we'll put that in the show notes because that's just a great you know, it takes five minutes quiz. But then from there, I mean, there's just there's a ton of podcasts out there. And I can also give you a recommended list yeah. of like the folks that I love that are really, really good at this. I have a podcast that I talk about this kind of stuff. <laughs> da, da, da. And because it is it comes up almost with every single I mean, it does it comes up with every single person that I sit with, regardless if they're coming in for a dating relationship, a marriage relationship, a friendship, whatever, any kind of relationship in general. Um, because it starts with ourselves mm-hmm. because we've all created narratives about why I am a certain way or I'm too much or I'm not enough or I'm not pretty enough or I'm this enough. but then also understanding when that person doesn't text you back in a time frame that you thought would be acceptable, what happens? you know do you freak the f out and then you create a whole like long list yes. of like all the reasons <laughs> as to why that is <laughs> yes I get that. Yeah, yeah, I do too. I'd be like, oh my gosh, oh. you know. I was doing this the other day with one of my friends. She was like, I just got too excited about going to this cocktail bar And He thinks I'm an alcoholic now, and I, you know, and I was like, Oh and she goes, "Am I being an anxious? Am I being an anxious, Nelly?" And I was like, yeah, just yeah. a little
0: bit. That's
1: fine. it's cool. <laughs> I, I've been there. I have been there myself. You know, where I'm like, oh shit, oh no, oh no, no, now they're gonna. It's too much. Olivia's too much. You know, pull back, pull back. Um, But it's, it's helpful to understand those things because it's not not that you suck or it's not that you're bad or it's not that you're not worthy. It is, it, it hits on that six, 10, 12 year old, little boy, little girl, part of you that wants so badly to be accepted, to belong, to be loved, to be adored, all of those things. And that it's helpful to understand those pieces. So they're not misplaced and Mm. put with someone who just can't hold that space. Not that you're too much or that you're not whatever, but that they just can't hold that for whatever reason.
0: I talked about that a little bit cuz it's it was a big realization for me in my journey that the way the other person shows up in whatever relationship it is is mm-hmm. not a reflection of me. Yeah. And my worth and my value and all of that.
1: Absolutely. Well, and I think it's also helpful to understand your attachment style and be able
0: to have these conversations
1: like on a first second third day right it's if someone's like very averse to it then you're like mm, yellow flag like I don't know you know or if someone's like now nah, therapy you're like you gotta go um because that person might be triggering parts of you not that they suck or not that they're doing that intentionally but to recognize and to almost like depersonalize it in a way of like observing it of like huh I haven't felt this particularly or kind of anxious or whatever, like I want to bounce in a long time. So question, what is it about this person that they're doing, saying, acting, their energy, even mm-hmm. that's eliciting this response. And then is it warranted or appropriate for me to bring that to them? And then you can work through that. Fantastic. You can't, they have no concept. They can't hold that space ear ear you're like their self awareness game is no dice and you are not uh, trying to be someone's therapist so you're trying to be their lover or their partner right so
0: (laughs) I literally said that to a guy a couple months ago I was like listen I'm not here to be your therapist like please go to therapy it'll be great Um, Yeah, call me maybe never but maybe in like a year (laughs) and he was like I am in therapy and I was like cool you need to do it longer (laughs) turn up that frequency (laughs) um do it yeah no that's definitely like one of my first questions but I did want to ask because you mentioned like on a first second third date how early do you feel like you should be having the attachment style conversation or could you have that conversation to kind of help before you get too far down the line with it right
1: yeah I think you know, so I'm in my mid thirties, a lot of my friends that are still single are, you know, in their thirties or early forties. And I've, I've noticed that the older that we get in dating, the more our, you know, the more refined our bullshit meter gets appropriately. I would hope, I would hope so. So I would, I preface it with that. I don't, I think when you're 19, 20, if you're having these conversations, like you might find it harder because Mm -hmm. of the, the, the age of the dude, uh, their prefrontal cortexes are not fully formed until 25, 26. So, but yeah, so I think with that preface, I think it's totally legit on a first or second date again, kind of like we are, if you are dating to want to find a partner, which I'm assuming that is true at this point in time, um, then it's like, well, I've got nothing to lose and I'm more aware of what I want and what I don't want and so like, let's just be honest. I appreciate that. And like clear as kind. And again, not to be like, you know, what's your bank account status right now? Like on the first date or like, you know, whatever. But, um, but like to ask them those things of like, how have you, how do you handle conflict? Like, you know, what was, you know, if someone's just trash talking their, their past relationship, that's curious because no one isn't ever a hundred percent bad. Right. It's nuanced. And so if they can, if they talk about their past relationships, of like, yeah, like, it just didn't work out because it da, da 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 but this relationship, I mean, taught me this, this, and this. It's like, wow, okay, that's mature. Like, we love that, you know? But also, like, do they have friendships? That's like a num- my, one of my number one things. I'm like, if they don't have any friends or community, I'm like, yikes. yikes why? You know, you don't need like a bajillion friends, but you need like a couple peeps. You know,
0: I saw a meme about that recently that was like, y'all don't even know what women have to be going through out here on these apps. Like the background check process, no. you have to go oh through, gosh. you have to literally ask, do you have friends?
1: <laughs> yes. This is literally going to be a question. It's staggering. Yeah. My best friend, she's like, you know, they passed the first kind of test or whatever. And that's honestly, we've, and, uh, cause I'll swipe for her a lot. And I and I'll put the first yeah, and I'll put the first question out. Which, by the way, side note, Tinder now has come out with a feature that you can invite people. And I was like, I'm before my time. I've been doing this on the Bumbles and the Hinges. Where Where are you guys at? But, anyways, that's a side note. I will take royalty checks to my email. Thank you.
0: Sponsored. Not sponsored. <laughs> not sponsored.
1: But open to it, <laughs> but yeah. So you know, I'll swipe for her, and I'll and I'll throw out the first question, you know, of, of different things if that are really important to her. Whether it's about you know a faith practice, whether it's about like, oh, tell me something that you know what you're looking for that you haven't found yet, you know, or you know sillier stuff, but things that are still helpful to like, are they mm-hmm. fun and goofy? Of like, what is a genre of music that you absolutely love, but you are um, embarrassed to admit? And if they say something like cool, then I'm like. Can here you're annoying but if they're like mm, backstreet voice for sure i'm like hell yeah i'm like okay you're cool you know we're just something goofy yeah. you know i don't know so yeah
0: i think it's totally legit i think that's one of the reasons my bumble opener at least is usually like the napoleon dynamite awkwardly waving hi gif because mm-hmm. if they don't get it and they're not if they don't find it funny where it's not going to be it's not going to be not going to be good
1: no right i like that I, a good one. <laughs>
0: I was like, listen, this is my sense of humor in a nutshell. If you don't find it funny, (laughs) I actually had a guy who responded with gifts and coordinated an entire date down to time and place with all gifts and one screenshot of a location. And I was like, that's very impressive. I was so shocked. He's like, you have no idea how long I had to look for a 6 p.m. (laughs) gift. That's funny. I know. Oh, man. So here's a big thing, especially for those of us who tend to be more hyper independent, you know, that sort Mm -hmm. of thing, and a little bit more prone to really search out those red flags or icks, right? How how can you kind of tell the difference between like an ick or red flag and like something that you're just kind of like trying to find, like self-sabotaging the situation? man yeah that's a good one how, how can i
1: it oftentimes is so specific to the individual you know mm-hmm. i think a big one is well first off the first thing because my mind is like if you're just kind of reaching at random crap you know then it's like <laughs> what are we doing and so this is where it becomes really helpful though to have community Because if you are just yourself, the people who think like you, act like you, talk like you, then they're just going to be a bunch of yes men and they're only going to continue for you to perpetuate self-sabotage or whatever it might be, you know, but I think it's in order for me to like to say, hey, like this could be self-sabotage. There also has to be a level of understanding of what are you most afraid of? Mm -hmm. Is it emotional vulnerability Does that make you like want to hide and also like kiss that person on the mouth? You know what, you know, there's so many different layers to it. And so I think it first has to come with an understanding of, I desperately want to be seen and I desperately want to be loved. It's also the thing that scares the shit out of me Mm -hmm. and it can be both. Because then if I have that, then I know when I'm going and having these conversations with someone, whether it's you know the fifth date or the second date or whatever it is, and they share part of their story with me or they're asking me, I can recognize, wow, this makes me really uncomfortable. And I love that they are being so kind. Mm-hmm. And to be able to say that, that's huge. Or you're just going to disregard it and then be like... Bobby was just so annoying when da da da, da, da and I'm like, <laughs> that's the thing, you know? Um, but it, again, it's, it's so specific to the person I think, but it really is. Um, if you're reaching for random crap, it's like, do you just, do you not want to hang out with him? Like, that's what I tell my friend all the time. I'm like, you don't need to know if you want to mm-hmm. marry this person, but what you do need to know is, yeah, I really would like to see them again. Or if you're indifferent, like, or if you're like, "Ah, you're like, don't waste your time.
0: If it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no, you know? And I think that's been a big thing for me too, especially the older I get, not like from like the biological clock standpoint, but Mm -hmm. from like, just like, I don't want to waste my time with Mm -hmm. somebody I don't actually enjoy. Like if you are not more fun than me hanging out at home with Archie, going to be a no. You don't have to settle, you know, for what was good because Mm -hmm. you are wanting something
1: that is great, you know, and I think and it's scary. And I think one of the most brave things folks can do is to walk away from something that could be okay or good, Mm
0: -hmm. because
1: what we're doing when we say no to that person is that we are accepting a reality that I could just be single. And that is a better alternative than to be in a relationship or in a marriage or in a partnership with someone that I don't really want to hang out with. And I think that takes a, an extreme amount of guts and vulnerability. And I think that's something that's not talked about as often as I would, I would hope it would be because, and I, I see the people in my life that are single and dating. And every time that they walk away from someone who is like, fine, made sense on paper, maybe just wasn't a lot of chemistry or whatever. I'm always like, That just takes so much guts and I'm so proud of you. And it's really freaking hard every time because it's such a bummer with like a capital B. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, I think you're right. We don't talk about that enough because I'm on single girl TikTok and they talk a lot about like, I would much rather stay home and blah, blah, blah. But we don't talk about how hard it is to say no when it was just okay. But I also think that there's a cultural shift, at least in like the millennial Gen X generations, that it's more acceptable to choose that instead of just getting married.
1: Yeah, I would definitely agree that there's definitely more space for that than there was 10, 20 years ago, for sure.
0: For sure. I have really enjoyed this. Any other final thought you want to leave people with?
1: I think, yeah, I think, best thing is or the not even the best thing, but like the thing that I would encourage folks the most is to just get curious about themselves and their stories because we've all we all have narratives and we all have beliefs whether we want to admit it or not. But when we're like, you know, laying on our bed late at night and we're thinking all the thoughts of all the world and all the things that it's like when we're in our most honest and vulnerable state, those are the stories that we need to confront. Because otherwise, we're bringing a type of energy and a type of inauthent- uh, inauthenticity to our relationships. And if I want to find someone to spend my life with who loves me, you know, is for me, and, and that I allow to see me, I have to also first be willing to see me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we do that kind of like simultaneously when someone else is seeing us, but. It certainly has to happen for ourselves. Like I was, there's a uh, Cole Arthur Riley. She wrote a book called This Here Flesh, and she um, she's brilliant, and she's also um, creator of Black Liturgies. And uh, she was on a podcast with Glennon Doyle, and it was, it was a fantastic episode. But one of the things she was talking about was the need for community and this need for you know people to see us. And and she made this this statement, which I was like, That's so true. She was like, we can never see our own face. Mm-hmm. We only ever see the reflection of our face, but the people in our lives are the ones who are bearing witness to who we are and to our face. And so if you don't have anyone around, how can you possibly begin to see yourself and begin mm-hmm. to understand you? And I love that. I'm like, damn, it's great. And it's terrible. <laughs> Attachment is so very much at the primal pieces of who we are as human beings. And as Brené Brown says, like, we all are longing for connection and acceptance and belonging. And we can't have any of that if we don't understand how I am trying to get those things in my relationships, much less from myself.
0: So like I say in every episode, go to therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Essentially, that's what this podcast is. Just go to therapy. (laughs)
1: Not just to yourself, but truly to the people in your community, because then they get to have more of you. And that, I think, is a huge gift.
0: So, Olivia, where can people find you? What's the name of your podcast? Yeah.
1: So my Instagram handle is Olivia Peltz. Made it real easy. Same thing on YouTube. And my podcast is called A Safe Place to Land. So we do all kinds of things over there. I interview people. I talk a lot about lots of things. And my counselors on my team also talk sometimes if I can coerce them into doing stuff with me. But most of the time, it's just me. Yeah. So those, those are the things that you can come and do. Yeah. Like I said, I'm kind of moving more towards in the coaching space. I'm actually in the process right now of developing an online community for relationships oh, that will hopefully sexy. launch uh, Q1 the new year so i'm excited about that it's kind of like a gym membership but for your emotional well-being so it's gonna be pretty cool
0: i love that that's awesome and i have to say if you don't follow olivia on instagram you should because her content is great your reels make me both laugh and cry regularly
1: <laughs> yes that's what i'm going the goal <laughs> it can be both if you're not crying and laughing at the end of this swipe <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much, Olivia. As always, you can find us on at Ditch the Pod on Instagram. And you can email us your listener stories, your questions at ditch at gmail.com. And make sure you rate, subscribe, do all of those things I hate asking people to do. But please do those things. <laughs>